Can your prayers really make a difference for those who lead and for those who will lead our country? Welcome to Cutting It Straight with Pastor H.B. Charles Jr., author and pastor teacher at Shiloh Church in Jacksonville and Orange Park, Florida. In today's text out of 1 Timothy chapter 2, Pastor Charles will show us how important it is for us to pray for all who are in high authority. Today's message, Political Influence Through Strategic Prayer. And now, here's Pastor H.B. Charles Jr. As you are standing with me, would you get your copy of God's Word? And turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Father, please open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things from your word. Give us understanding and we will obey your word and keep it with our whole heart. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to talk this morning about political influence through strategic prayer. From 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. The English Standard Version of the Bible, the reading is this, first of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. You may be seated. This is God's word. Political influence through strategic prayer. You may have read or heard the term, the power behind the throne. That phrase has been used throughout history to describe one who wields influence without actually being in a seat of authority. It may refer to someone in in an official role, like an advisor or counselors or even a minister related to the governing authority. Sometimes in history, it has been a reference to someone in a non-official role, a friend, a spouse, in some instances a mistress, who were behind the scenes, yet influenced the seat of authority, sometimes to the extent that the one who occupies that seat today I want to invite you to join me so that together 
we might, as a church, strategically position ourselves to be the power behind the throne for whoever becomes the next president of the United States of America. There are two ways Christians in America can influence the governmental process. Here's the first. Vote. The privilege to vote should not be taken lightly. The vast majority of Christians in the world today do not have the freedom to participate in the process of selecting the persons, approving the laws, or influencing the values by which they will be governed. No decision or act of ours to live in a land where we are free to and expected to participate in the process of government. That is a privilege not to be taken lightly. I would add that those of us who, whose skin has been tanned by nature's sun should also remember that it was not too long ago when we did not have the freedom to vote in the land of the free and the home of the brave. And so the duty and privilege to vote should not be taken lightly. If by your conscience you choose not to vote, you are not breaking any biblical command or violating any Christian mandate. It's not un-Christian in any way to choose not to vote. But it is unchristian to act like your vote and the outcome of the election is the basis of your well-being, the stability of the culture, and the hope of the world. It is not. Proverbs chapter 21 verse 1 says the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord for he turns it wherever he will. In my travels I am often asked what the city of Jacksonville is like. First thing I mention is the fact that geographically, Jacksonville is the largest city in America. The second thing I mention is that Jacksonville is the river city. You can't travel too extensively in our city without having to cross a bridge to get you over a river. There are rivers in and throughout and around our city. And the Proverbs 21 verse 1 is written to remind us that none of these rivers flow indiscriminately. The streams of waters flow 
at the sovereign discretion of Almighty God. The God of heaven tells one river, go this way. And tells another river, go that way. Do you believe that? Well, friends, I declare that if God determines the direction of the streams of water, he can make a president do the good thing he doesn't want to do or keep a president from doing the bad thing he intends to do. Which gets to my point. There is a way that Christians in America can influence the governmental process that is greater than voting. Yeah, I said it. More important than voting, it is our obligation to pray. There are the official governmental leaders in D.C., president, cabinet, Congress people, senators. But there are <laughs> unofficial leaders in Washington, D.C. that exert, in some instances, more influence than elected officials. There are what is called special interest groups. And they spend big money to hire lobbyists to go in the halls of government and influence decisions in the best interest of the special interest group. Christianity is a special interest group. And every Every Christian has been commissioned to be a lobbyist for the kingdom of God. But we lobby heaven's agenda not in the halls of Congress, but at the throne of grace. Did you know, church? You can touch heaven from your knees. Charles Spurgeon said it well. Prayer is the slender nerve that moves the arm of omnipotence. This is the message of 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Christians can literally change the world simply through strategic prayer. I want to say that again. The church can change the world by praying. What is strategic prayer? There are five keys to strategic prayer in the text before us. I want to walk you through them quickly. Let me pitch them as questions for the text to answer. 
Question number one. How should you pray? How should you pray? Verse 1 says, first of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. The key term you need to get in this first point is the word urge. I urge. This is how Paul calls the church to prayer. I urge you to pray. The significant thing there is that this is not the language with which Paul typically gives instructions. When he says something important for Timothy to practice, follow, or obey, there's a stronger word he uses. He uses it if you go up to chapter 1, verse 18. He says, this charge I entrust to you. That's how he talks in his correspondence with Timothy. I charge you. It means to solemnly testify. It is the picture of an officer giving instructions, commands, that is, to a soldier who will have to give an account to a higher authority. But note, when he calls the church to prayer, he doesn't say, I charge you to pray. He says, I urge you to pray. I encourage you to pray. I plead with you to pray. I beseech you to pray. I entreat you to pray. The, the word in the Greek means simply to come alongside. Paul is not standing now as a general commanding the, the soldiers to obey. He is standing alongside of the church as brother, as a brother, saying, let's hold hands and go forward in prayer. The word charge emphasizes a duty to obey. This word urge emphasizes an opportunity to grasp. This is the first key to strategic prayer. If you're going to pray strategically, you've got to view prayer as a privilege to enjoy, not just a duty to obey. Let me say that again. Prayer is not a burdensome duty to obey. Prayer is a wonderful privilege to enjoy. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege it is to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pains we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. First question, how should you pray? Second question, when should you pray? There are two answers to that question in the text. Look at verse 1 again. The opening phrase of verse 1 is this, first of all. That's the first answer. Pray first of all. This phrase connects what has been said and what will be said. It may point back to what has been said where Paul charges Timothy to stand against false teachers. Or it may point forward to what Paul will say about the church conducting itself in an orderly fashion. But either way, 
if the church is to effectively wage spiritual warfare or to effectively walk in spiritual order, as he speaks of prayer here, he says it is first of all. Do you get the big idea? To pray strategically, prayer must be your top priority, not your last resort. Pray first of all. The second question, answer to the question, when should you pray? Pray not only first of all, but pray at all times. You see that in the text by the plural terms in verse 1. I urge you that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made. And the command there, the verb, be made, is in a grammatical emphasis that speaks of doing something consistently, habitually, or persistently. Keep making supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings. The point there is that to pray strategically, you must pray at all times. What are those times? I'll give you two. Pray when you feel like it. Because it's a shame to miss such a golden opportunity. On the other hand, pray when you don't feel like it, lest you develop a hardened heart. Let me try it another way. You should pray when you feel like it. You should pray when you don't feel like it. And you should pray until you feel like it. Luke 18, verse 1, Jesus says you should always pray and not lose heart. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2 says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And maybe 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17 says it most succinctly, pray without ceasing. Third question. What should you pray? What should you pray? I'm still in verse 1. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. Do you see there are four categories of prayer in verse 1? Let me walk you through them quickly. He says the first way you should pray is this, supplication. Supplication is just requests petition or entreaty. It is an inferior with a need coming to a superior with a supply. It means to take your need to God in prayer. You should embrace this term because it is the key to effective prayer. There's a lot to, you could study and learn and practice about prayer. But I contend, friends, I've written a whole book about prayer. 
But I can summarize the key to effective prayer in one statement. Effective prayer demands spiritual dependence. It doesn't matter how, how good your words are sound, how many verses you know, how serious you are. Listen, prayer will never be effective until it comes from a heart that is humbled enough to recognize its need for God. Let me put that where you can get it. This is why we pray better when we're in trouble. Hello. When you got a problem you can't fix, you ain't hitting snooze in the morning. You getting up early to get extra time of prayer. Don't nobody need to tell you to put your clock back so you don't miss church. You going to be there so that you can call on the Lord. But this should not just be our response in a crisis. Our regular prayer should be marked by a sense of dependence upon God. That is supplication. But then the word prayers. It's the most generic term for prayer and common term for prayer in the New Testament. It is to talk to God. It is communion with and communication with God. The key to the term is that it is always used in reference to addressing God, not other people. Which means to pray effectively, you must remember that the one to whom you pray is not the man upstairs. He's the living, holy, just, wise, righteous, faithful, sovereign God. Come January, there will be a new man or new woman in the Oval Office. If at the same time, it's a man upstairs too, we're in real trouble. <laughs> Our hope in whoever takes the Oval Office is that the psalmist 103, Psalm 103 verse 19 says, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. That's the God that we pray to. Then the word intercession is, listen to me church, outwardly focused supplication. Intercession is when you go to God in prayer with a need on the behalf of somebody else. Your prayer life is weak if you never get around to praying for anyone else. There are times when you should go to God just as passionately on the behalf of someone else as you go to God for your own needs. The fourth term there is thanksgivings. There are times, church, if you're going to develop a strong prayer life, there are times 
when you need to go to God in prayer and say to the Lord, Lord, I'm not calling today because I want anything. I'm just calling to say thank you for what you've already done. Psalm 100, verses 4 and 5. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and enter his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Paul here lists four categories of prayer. To say a statement about God and a statement to us. The statement about God through these various categories of prayer is that God wants you to come to him in prayer in everything, for everything, through everything, about everything, in spite of everything. The statement to us is that you ought to pray by any means necessary. There are times when it is supplication, when you need to bring a need to God. There are times when it is prayer, where you come to God in a worshipful reverence, communion with him. There are times when you are coming to God, bringing the burden that someone else is carrying. There are some times when you are praying thanksgiving to give grateful praise for what he's done. There are times when you need to come and pray with confession, admitting to God what you did wrong. There are times when you ought to pray with lamentation. You ought to go to God and sing the blues to him about the trouble you are facing. After all, he's the only one that can fix it. Whatever you do, pray by any means necessary. Question number four. Are you still with me? For whom should you pray? There are three answers to that in the text. The first answer is assumed. The call to supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings is the first answer. You should pray for yourself. Thank God for elders, deacons, Bible study fellowship leaders, ministry coordinators, prayer partners, good friends, mama, big mama, auntie. But your faith will remain stunted if you don't trust God to pray through things for yourself. There are times, if your faith is going to grow, there are times where you gotta learn to trust in the Lord with all your heart and to lean not on your own understanding and to acknowledge God in all your ways that he may direct your path. Pray for yourself. But the word intercessions in the opening verse reminds us that effective prayer learns how to widen its circle to include others. And he makes that explicit at the end of verse 1. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for who? All people. 
you should pray for all people. This is not all people by number, which at this point is seven billion on planet Earth. No, the emphasis here is not all people by number. It is all people without distinction. Everyone should be included in your prayers. No one should be excluded from your prayers. Pray for the rich and the poor. Pray for the married and the single, the strong and the weak, the white and the black, the educated and the unlearned, the high and the low, the happy and the sad, the sick and the well, the gay and the straight, the Christian and the non-Christian, and hold on to your seat, the Republicans and the Democrats. Pray for yourself, pray for all people. Here's the third answer. Pray for people in high places. Listen to verse two. Verse, verse one ends by saying, your prayers should go wide enough. Your prayers should be wide, wide enough to include all people. Now in verse 2 he says that your prayers need to go high enough to include kings. Let me give you that out of the Charles International Version. Presidents. And all those in high places. The president, cabinet, congress, senate, State Department, governor, mayor, councilman, pray for everyone in high position. It's easy to read your newspaper, watch the news, or sit in the barber shop and beauty salon and complain and criticize and condemn those who are in authority. But from our position, we do not know the burden of responsibility that is placed on those who have been privileged to be placed in high positions. And the text is saying, rather than reading the paper, watching the news, or sitting in the shop condemning those in high positions, we need to pray for. I don't think y'all get what I'm saying. I'm an avid sports fan. But if you came and sat on my couch and watched sports with me, you would think I am not just an avid sports fan, but I am also a world-class athlete. <laughs> just sit on the couch with me and watch a game. You would think 
there is no pitch I cannot hit. You would think there is no pass that I could not make. You would think that there is no defender I couldn't take to the hole and score a bucket on. Now for the record, I've never been defended by a seven foot tall defender. I have never had a person throw a ball at me at 90 miles per hour. I have never, never had to throw a pass with 300-pound linemen trying to take, but that don't stop me on that couch this afternoon. I know what the quarterback ought to do. What the, I, 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 I could tell you from the safety of my couch what those who are in the danger and challenging position ought to be doing. You get where I'm going, church? And it's easy for us to sit back and criticize those that have been placed in high positions that are facing things that we don't fully understand. And the text is saying, rather than criticize them, we need to pray for them. Officially, whoever wins Tuesday will do their job with the title of the President of the United States of America. Do you know what one of their unofficial titles will be? The leader of the free world. But listen, the text is saying even the leader of the free world is not so great that they don't need prayer. President Barack Obama today can order his cabinet to come meet with him, his defense team come to the office, meet with him. He can order diplomats and representatives, Congress people, prime ministers, kings to come meet with him. But this morning, if President Obama want to hear a word from the Lord, he got to go to church. Y'all don't even go with me today. No matter how high they are, they are not so high that they have superseded their need for God. And so he says, pray for those who are in authority over us. This is the divine wisdom of Almighty God. Whoever wins the election, most of us will not receive a White House invitation to meet with the president in the Oval Office. So what? Anytime you won't, you can come boldly to the throne of grace and obtain mercy and grace to help in the time of need. You, you, can, 
exercise political influence by practicing strategic prayer. One more question quickly and I'm done. The fifth and final question of the text is this. Why should you pray? Why should you pray? Three answers. First one is in verse two. To live a good life. He says we should pray for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. I I love the Bible. It's things in the Bible I wouldn't even believe is there if I just didn't see it for myself in black and white. This is a great line. Reason why you ought to pray for the president, says verse 2, is so that you can live with peace and quiet. Just, just want peace and quiet, whoever wins. And he says we should pray that we are able to live peaceful and quiet lives. But it's not just on the government. Do you see there's a personal responsibility is here as well? We're to live peaceful and quiet lives, he says, with all godliness. And he says, being dignified in every way. Godliness is about Christian attitude. It's a heart of devotion to God. Dignified is Christian behavior. It's watching my conduct so that I don't dishonor my father's name. No, it's Matthew 5, 16. It's letting my light so shine before men that they see my good works and glorify the father who is in heaven. He says, to simply, just for your sake, for my sake, we should pray for those in high places that we might live a good life. Secondly, second reason to pray is to please the Lord. Verse 3 says, this is good. And what does he mean by good? He defines it in the next phrase. It is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. It is spiritual adultery to treat your political affiliation as your primary allegiance. He says your primary responsibility is to be pleasing in the sight of God. More important than being Republican, Democrat, and Independent act like a Christian. Third reason we should pray is not only to live a good life, to please the Lord, but thirdly, to reach the lost. Listen to how God is described. In in terms of authority here, he does not say... This is good and pleasing in the sight of God, the judge who's going to fix it all at the end. In verse 2, he doesn't say that he is God, our judge. He says he is God, our what? Savior. Philippians, or rather, Psalm 
3, verse 8, and Jonah chapter 2, verse 9, make the same statement that I contend is the most important statement in the Bible. It's the message of the Bible in one sentence. Salvation belongs to the Lord. I can give it to you in three words. Only God saves. Salvation doesn't happen by human achievement. Salvation happens by divine accomplishment. Our only hope is that God saves. And this also should shape how Christians should be godly and dignified. We shouldn't be on TV and on blogs and in the streets condemning people to hell when the text says God's trying to get people to heaven. We are saved by the will of God. Verse 4, he desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. But thank God his desire is not just desire. You know, the politicians all have their platforms with good intentions. It's another thing to be able to pull off what you intend. We are not saved merely by the will of God, verse 4. We are saved by the work of God, verse 5. Two pieces of good news in verse 5. Here's the first. There's only one God. Y'all don't know where to shout on sermons. Let me try that again. There's only one God and his name is not Donald Trump, Hillary Clinton, Gary Johnson, Jill Stein, or Evan McMullen. First piece of good news is that there's only one God. Second piece of good news in the verse, there's one mediator between sinful man and a holy God. And his name is Christ Jesus. Verse 6 says, he gave himself up as a ransom for us all. He paid the price at the cross to set us free. Think about it. The king died to set rebels free from judgment. If he can handle eternity for us like that. Let's trust him to take care of whatever happens Wednesday morning. <laughs> King Louis the 14th of France took the throne at the age of 14 and reigned for 72 years, 72 years. It is the longest reign in modern European history. On one occasion, he declared himself the great monarch and even the brasher declaration. On one occasion, he declared, I am the state as if there would be no France without him. 
Well, in 1715, old King Louis died. And thousands of mourners made their way through the great cathedral to pay their final respects to the great monarch who lay in a golden casket. Above it was one big burning candle signifying the greatness of King Louis XIV. Bishop Massillon was officiating this official act of state. And when it was time for the actual service to begin, he began the service by leaning over the pulpit and blowing out the candle, signifying King Louis's greatness. And from and behind an open Bible, he declared four scandalous words. Only God is great. This is our hope and joy and peace, whatever happens this Tuesday. Only God is great. I'm finished. God be praised for his work. Thanks for listening to Cutting It Straight with Pastor H.B. Charles Jr. If you would like more resources from Pastor Charles or to support this ministry, he can be reached online at www.hbcharlesjr.com. That's hbcharlesjr.com. Join us again for Cutting It Straight, and God bless.